11 verses 1 and 2 and there was given me a reed like unto a rod and the angel stood saying rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein but the court which is without the temple leave out measure it not for it is given unto the Gentiles and the holy city shall they tread there underfoot 40 and two months now let's stop reading right there I don't know that you need much commentary from a preacher, but John was instructed to measure those things that belong to who? To God. The temple, the altar, and God's people. Now, I wonder how we measure before God this morning. You see, God is always measuring the hearts and the actions of His people. Oh, you all know that the first and the greatest commandment is to love God with all of your mind, heart, strength, and soul. But on a scale of 1 to 10, how consistent are we in our devotion to Jesus Christ. Uh, Only a day or so ago, I was asked to visit uh, one of our local high schools. As a matter of fact, it was an alternative school. And and yet I was told before I went in to speak to these young people uh, that I could not uh, bring up Christianity. I didn't need to bring... In other words, basically, we're asking a chaplain and a pastor. Listen to this. We want a pastor and a chaplain to come to our school, but we don't want you to preach to them. Now, I went, I'm ashamed to say, uh, and they have invited me back, but I don't believe I'm going to use the same presentation that I used uh, in that particular setting uh, a few days ago. 
uh, my going there without mentioning the name of Jesus Christ would be like a police officer trying to respond to a bank holdup alarm in progress without his uh, uh, weapon uh, with him. It's ludicrous. And uh, thank God we have a godly sheriff. The sheriff said, I wouldn't go. He said, if you can't mention Jesus Christ, and if you can't take your Bible, he said, just stay here. I said, thank you, sheriff. I just might do that. But they've invited me back. Now, here's what I'm going to share with them. And I know I have everybody's attention right now. Our homes and our children and our families are in trouble. And there was a young man there. And while he was there, he was on the front row. And he was chewing something in his mouth. And the teacher looked at him and said, you need to get that out of your mouth and put it in the garbage. And here's what this young 15 or 16-year-old boy said. He said, why? The teacher said, because I said so, and I'm giving you a second warning. Go and take that and put it in your mouth, or out of your mouth and put it in the garbage. And the 15-year-old or 16-year-old, he said, why do I have to do that? And the teacher looked at him and the third time and said, this is your last warning. I'm thinking, you know, growing up in Trigg County and Katy's, Kentucky, uh, the first warning. I can still see Mr. Ladd, my ag teacher, watching to and fro in the hallway. If you had your shirt tail out, that was a paddling offense. Uh, if you had chewing gum in your mouth, they'd paddle you for that. I mean, they spanked you up in Katy's, Kentucky for just looking at a teacher the wrong way. <laughs> Praise God for it. <laughs> and... Uh, and I've often said the biggest gang problem we had were the future farmers of America. And I'm thinking, how can I, enter, how can I bring that into this uh, uh, Bible study that I'm having with these boys and girls, and yet I can't mention the, the name of Jesus Christ? And so I thought about that young man there, and I said, you know what? None of us, none of us like to be told what to do. I said, you didn't like having to take something out of your mouth. I said, you have a girlfriend? You, one day you're going to get married. I said, then you'll have a wife telling you what to do. Well, be a teacher or a principal. He didn't like that at all. And so I thought about something that I could share with those teachers and that principal when they call me next month to come back. Oh, they loved your pastor there as long as I left out Jesus Christ and the Bible. I want to remind those principals and teachers and those who were there and remind you that a study that was done uh, several years ago by the FBI, not by the Southern Baptists and not by the Catholic Council, not by any... Uh, denominational uh, persuasion, any church, any religious group. According to the FBI, since prayer and the... And by the way, I'm not for forced prayer. I don't think anybody should force you to pray. You should desire to pray. Our children can still pray in school if they want to. But the bottom line is, since prayer and the Ten Commandments were taken out of schools in the mid-1960s on our watch, according to the FBI, Violence in our school system has risen. If you're listening, say we're listening, Pastor. All right. Not 100, not 200, not 300, not 400, not 500, but according to the FBI, violence in our school system has risen 600%. Our schools are in trouble, and they are in trouble just like families because we've left out God and we're paying a terrible price. God says, measure my people. God is always measuring the hearts and the actions of His people. God says in this passage of Scripture, measure my people, but not the Gentiles. For they're ungodly. Why? Because God already knows their rewards. They are without hope. For they, up to this point, have rejected Jesus Christ. Their judgment is already sealed. Their destiny is settled. Go to verse 3. 
And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days cloaked in sackcloth. Let's stop reading right there for just a moment. Now appears two, I would call them two mighty evangelists, two mighty preachers, two witnesses for God. These will be the greatest preachers the world has ever known. Some believe they are Moses and Elijah. After all, these men appeared and talked with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Others believe these two witnesses may be Elijah and Enoch. Why? Because they were taken to heaven without ever tasting death. Nevertheless, no one knows for sure. I don't know for sure. The Bible doesn't say so. Nevertheless, we don't know who they are, but we do know, we do know for sure that uh, they are going to be men of God. We do know uh, that they're going to be doing certain things, uh, preaching a specific message in verse 3, and I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. Why sackcloth? Here's their message. By the way, why are they wearing sackcloth? Because they're preaching a message of repentance. Old Testament prophets wore sackcloth when they preached a message of repentance. The greatest message of John the Baptist was a message of repentance. The greatest sermon that Jesus Christ preached was a message of repentance. Jesus says it, listen, Jesus Christ says it 969 times. It's, it's not very popular today. Some churches ne- never, uh, uh, pastors never preach it. Some church members never hear it. And that's pitiful. Why? Because the Bible says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Men carry the weight of sin without repentance. Jesus said, the way of the transgressor is hard. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The other day I was watching a, a black preacher. I'm trying to think of his name. Bishop Jakes. T.D. Jakes. You might have watched the show. It was on just a few days ago. And I had my son. I said, son, come in and watch this. I said, I'm really enjoying this. Because he had with him, he had a lot of luggage. He had some baggage with him. And he said, this baggage, this bag represents the bag of guilt. There are many reasons why people don't come to church. One of the primary reasons people will not come to church is because of their guilt. Certainly because of sin and because of disobedience. All of you, even though you have smiles on your face, we all come to church and there's a form of masking that goes on. We put on a smile, but deep in our hearts we're, we're hurting. And we may be hurting because of something that we said or something that we've done. All of us, can I tell you right now, even on my best day, on my very best day, because the pastors are certainly held to a higher standard of accountability, would you agree with me? On my very best day, when I look at the the Ten Commandments, and when I look in the mirror of those Ten Commandments and I see my face, and I've been able to keep at least nine of those Ten Commandments, and I've been able to walk with God, and I feel pretty good about myself, Uh, My righteousness, according to my Bible, my righteousness is a stench in the nostrils of a holy God. Now, I come from a denominational background that teaches you can lose your salvation. I come from a denominational background that believes that you can fall from grace, that you have to have certainly God's mercy and His grace, grace, but there's a a, a sense, an element of, of works that is mixed in. My Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. 
Ideally, good works should follow a genuine profession of faith. But if you're sitting here this morning thinking that your good works will get you into heaven, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Your righteousness is filthy. That's why we sing in the Baptist church, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And the Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. These two witnesses will preach for 42 months, three and a half years. There is no doubt they will be preaching in the very last three and a half years of the tribulation. Go to verse 4. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. Well, stop reading right there. There's a tremendous amount of symbolism in the book of Revelation. Two olive trees, two candlesticks. These speak of their, listen, their unwavering faithfulness to preach God's message. Now, regardless of what others said about them, regardless of public opinion, they were going to be true to their message. And what is the message? Uh, What is the gospel? It is the message of hope. When I shared with... uh, Uh, Sister Joyce at the hospital, she was weeping and grieving, which is certainly a natural emotion that anyone would experience. Do you love a child? If you lost a child, would you not weep for that child? Do you love your sons and your daughters? Of course you do. But we, at times, as Christians, we, we, we have a tendency to forget that one day we are going to live forever. We're going to live forever. You're not going to live forever in this body. This body is corrupted. That's why this body, this corruption, has to take on incorruption. This mortality has to put on immortality. And our hope is in Jesus Christ. These two olive trees, these two candlesticks, speak of their unwavering faithfulness to preach the gospel message. What is the gospel message? For God so loved the world. That He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Go to verse 5 and 6. That is their message. But what about their power? And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will, will, and if any, and if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. That's worth looking at one more time. Let's look at this again. If any man will hurt them, Then anyone tries to kill them. Fire proceedeth out of their mouth, out of the two witnesses, and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, that it raineth not in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over the waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. Now, let's stop reading right there. Let me give you just a little more commentary this morning. Because their preaching of repentance will be hated. I hope you all do not hate my preaching. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. There, there's some preaching that we, you know, we all have certain, I listened to Charles Stanley last night. Man, I had my Bible out. I, you know, I'll get my little felt pen and I'll take notes and I'll, I'll look at the points and the principles and the application for that sermon. Why? Because I'm hungry. Even before the Sabbath day, even before the Lord's day, I, want, I need to be fed in a good Baptist church where if we're not thinking about eating or if we're not eating, we're thinking about eating. Can I get an amen from somebody? Last night, I wanted to hear from Charles Stanley before Billy Graham uh, came on. 
And uh, I had my Bible out and I was listening to everything that he said and I received it with gladness and joy. We're on two different radio stations. You, you have two different... Uh, it's the first time in the history of this church that we have two ministries. Now certainly we're on the internet. We have a family. I'm, it just blows me away. They found this church off the website. I have to have help turning on a computer. When I think website, I'm thinking my wife is... Uh, there's a spider web out in the garage and I need to, I need to clean the garage out. There is a, a softer, more conversational Pastor Teddy on the radio. Tuesdays, Tuesday morning, 9 o'clock on WJZM. 1400 on the AM dial. Doesn't have much of a signal. It's about a 1,000 watt radio station. It doesn't get out very well. Wednesday, this, this Bible study, this in the Revelation, will be broadcast over. 105.1, the solid gospel station. And they're a big radio station with a, with a great deal of coverage. And uh, the other day, Kenny, Brother Kenny called. He said, man, did you listen? And I said, you know what? I did. I, I, I've, I've found 105.1 and I turned the radio station on. But I said, you know what? I don't know that I can listen to that guy. <laughs> I said, man, that's one passionate preacher. And he preaches the message of repentance. And I'm thinking that if I'm a lost person, or if I'm just anybody scanning the radio dial, am I going to want to listen to this guy? I I, I don't know. Maybe I was being too critical of myself. But you don't turn on the radio to hear from a preacher. You don't come to church to hear from a man. You come to church to hear from God. And to do that, you have to bring your Bible, don't you? And you have to bring your heart. And so here we know that they're going to be preaching a message of repentance. And because of their preaching, they will be hated by by all of mankind. And someone is going to try to destroy them. But God is going to equip them with unique powers to defeat their enemies. Fire is going to come from their mouth. They will be able to cause it not to rain. They will be able to turn water to blood. And they will be, listen, they will be God's untouchables. Now the masses will want to slay them, but cannot. Not until God's time for them to die. Why? Because like all of God's children, they are in God's care. You're in God's care. I am in God's care. Satan and all of his demons cannot touch a child of God found in the will of God. Our precious sister in Christ just left. She's headed to the funeral home, and I'll follow her in just a moment. But all of us are going to follow Jackie Rye. And if the Lord tarries, we're all going to follow. It's appointed unto man once to die. Now, some of you, and I'll let, some of you ladies look really good. You've got the makeup thing going on. Look pretty. Some of you men could probably, could probably join the gym, work out a little bit with me, run three or four miles. But the inevitable is that you're going to die. But where are you going to spend eternity? That's the question that you're going to have to answer. Where am I going to spend eternity? Notice that I said a moment ago that the masses will not be, they'll they'll want to kill them, but they cannot because they are in God's care. And Satan and all of his demons cannot touch a child of God found in the will of God. God knew that Jackie Rye was going to die. That didn't take God by surprise. It may have taken many of you by surprise. It took me by surprise, but it didn't take God by surprise. Now, we can be out of God's will. How can we be out of God's will? Listen, the speed limit out here on Highway 13 is what, 50, 55? Why don't you drive 95? Now, I'm not asking you to do this. <laughs> but why don't you drive about 95 mile an hour, and while you're driving 95 mile an hour, why don't you have a six-pack of, uh, 
uh, some alcohol, uh, some, one of your favorite alcoholic beverages influencing you. And when you hit that tree and when you break your neck and somebody, somebody is going to cry out, Oh God, how could this happen? How did it happen? I understand he was uh, 35 miles over the speed limit and his uh, blood alcohol was twice the legal limit. How do you think it happened? There are many men and women in the Bible that died premature deaths because they were outside of God's will. If you're drunk, if you're doing drugs, if you're disobeying God, you're out of his will. What is his will? His will is that all might come to repentance. Let's look at their death because these two will also die. Go to verse 7. This is very, this is intriguing. We're in Revelation 11. Go to verse 7. And when they shall have finished their testimony. Do you see this? You should highlight that. We'll come back to that. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them. Who? The two witnesses. And kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually Sodom and Gomorrah, or Sodom and Egypt. We know that city would be uh, uh, Jerusalem, where also our Lord was crucified. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half, and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in the graves. And they that dwelled upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry, and shall send gifts one to another, because... These two prophets tormented them that dwelled on the earth. Now, was it the, prof- the, the, the prophets, did they torment those dwelling on the earth? Or was it the message, the gospel of repentance that they didn't want to hear? All right, let's stop reading right here for just a moment. The Antichrist will appear once again out of the bottomless pit. And God, I want you to understand this, God will allow the Antichrist to overcome these two witnesses and kill them. But only after what? Go back to verse 7. When they shall have finished their testimony. Does your Bible say that? Understand this. Listen, before we go on on any further, understand this. Death cannot touch God's people until God's time comes. Nothing can destroy or take away the life of God's children if they are walking in His will until their time comes. I told you a moment ago, Moses died a premature death. Samson died a premature death. The Bible tells us those who walk close to God are protected by the angels of God Himself. You find that? Write this down. Psalm 92, verse 11. Psalm 92, verse 11. The Antichrist shall kill the witnesses. And verses 8 through 10. Go to verses 8 through 10. And their dead bodies will lie in the streets of that great city. We know that great city is Jerusalem, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. They of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in the graves. And they that dwell... Why? Here's the reason why. And those that were dwelling upon the earth are rejoicing over those two that are dead. And they're making merry. And they're giving gifts, sending gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelled on the earth. Here, their bodies will lay in the streets of Jerusalem... The whole world is going to be able to view this for three and a half days. For three and a half days, they will witness it and rejoice. What does it say? They shall rejoice, make merry, send gifts to one another. Why? Because repentance is preached no more. We no longer have these two preachers preaching the Word of God. The Bible says the heart is desperately wicked. 
Friends, there are those today who would rejoice over the death of every gospel preacher. There are those who would rejoice over my death today. There are those that would rejoice over the doors uh, of Bethel Baptist Church closing. They would rejoice over the closing of every gospel church if they thought the gospel could be silenced. Why? Because they're enemies of the church. They're enemies of the cross. They're enemies of Jesus Christ. Look at verses 11 and 12. We know they died, but this is something really intriguing. I looked at this. This is remarkable. One of the most remarkable passages of Scripture found in the book of Revelation. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life, look at this, the spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood up upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. Wow. Stop reading right there for just a moment. You see, God wasn't through with them yet. After three and a half days of seeing two of his prophets decay in the streets, suddenly they come to life before the entire world. Verse 12 says, And their enemies beheld them. Imagine the scene for just a moment. ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, all of those television stations will be... This flash coming from Jerusalem. Do you remember those two prophets that we thought were dead? They're not. Well, I'm certain that a news reporter perhaps won't report the news quite like that. But suddenly the laughing of the crowd is going to cease. One of the prophets moves his arms. The other man of God opens his eyes and all the world begins to gasp as they view this on television or by satellite. The crowd screams and runs in the streets as the prophets stand to their feet and God calls them back into heaven. Somebody praise Him in His house. One day you are going to die, but you are going to be present with the Lord. Verse 13 and 14, and I'm almost finished. And the same hour was there a great earthquake. And the tenth part of the city fell, and in the earthquake there were slain of men, how many? Seven thousand. And the remnant were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe, watch this, the second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. Now here are the results. One-tenth of Jerusalem crumbles after these two men of God are called back to heaven. Seven thousand people die in Jerusalem, and only a remnant. Did you see that? Only a remnant looked to God. Even seeing the resurrection of the prophets, they still, listen, they still rejected God. Unbelievable is the hard-heartedness of man. How men are fools because of sin. I'm telling you right now, sin, and what is sin? Sin is transgressing the law. Sin is breaking God's commandments. Sin will take you further than you want to go. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. Sin will cost you more than you have in your bank account. can cost you your life. What about the seventh trumpet sounding? In chapters 8 and 9, listen, in chapters 8 and 9, we witness six of the seven trumpet judgments. And now we see the seventh angel step forth in heaven, place his trumpet to his mouth, and make this announcement. Go to verse 15. We're almost finished. Go to verse 15. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become 
the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ. And He shall reign forever and ever. And the four and the twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which was and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power, and you have reigned. Here's the announcement. The announcement is the kingdoms of this world are now become the kingdoms of our Lord. Understand now, we are now living in a world that is controlled by who? Satan. Now certainly he does not have ultimate power and authority. Can Satan read your mind? No. Teaching at seminary, we we teach a spiritual uh, warfare class. Can Satan read your mind? Many of those young seminarians, they'll say, well, yes. No, he can. Only God knows your heart. Only God can read your mind. What is Satan? What is he really? He's a fallen angel. Can't read your mind. Can't rob you of your peace. Although many of you look like some of your peace is missing right now, some of your joy. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. God has not abandoned us. You have the Holy Spirit of God. You have his word working in concert to defeat our enemy. And our enemy is a fallen angel. Lucifer He's a liar. He's a deceiver. He is a destroyer. And at this point in time, understand we're now living in a world that is controlled by Satan. The day is coming when it will be no more. The people of heaven will fall down and worship the true ruler of the world. The true ruler of the world is Jesus Christ. Yeah, I would have thought I'd heard a few more amens than that. Doesn't it make your heart glad to know that Jesus Christ is the true ruler of the world? Not the people of the earth, not the president of the United States, not the Congress, not any government. But look at the reaction of the people on earth. Go to verse 18, they're angry. When the angel sounded and this announcement came from heaven, the people on earth were angry. Verse 18, and the nations were angry and thy, and thy wrath has come and the time of the dead that they should be judged and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants the prophets and to the saints and them that fear thy name small and great and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth why are they so angry they're angry because of the coming prosperity of the righteous and the coming destruction of the wicked you see the wicked are always angry when the righteous prosper it's in their nature because their nature is in the nature of sin in the nature of Satan. Verse 19. We'll close right there. Verse 19. And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament, and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and and an earthquake and great hail. Stop reading right there. The ark is the testimony of God's covenant. Why would that be important? It's a testimony to God's faithfulness. Here, the temple is open as a witness for all to know that if they come to Christ, they can come freely into the temple. When we come into the temple, we come into the very presence of God. Can I remind you, you're in the very presence of God right now. Everyone on this row, they're in the very presence of God. Everyone on this side of the church, you are in the very presence of God. Those of you in the back, you're in the very presence of God. Those of you, you're you're in the very presence of God as well. We are in the very presence of God. How do you feel? Are you glad? Can you rejoice? 
Can you say this morning, it is well with my soul? Or is there a sense of dread and anxiety and worry? Oh, God, <laughs> I'm, not sure I, I'm not sure I'm saved. Well, if you're not sure you're saved now, do you think you'll be more sure the moment you die? There is a place called heaven. Jesus said, I'm going to use this passage of Scripture in, in a moment. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If We can't see them, but don't you believe them? I can see them in my mind. I can feel them in my heart. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. But there's also another place prepared. We don't like to hear about that in the Baptist church or in any church. It's called hell. Where is hell? Well, regardless of its geographical location, hell is a place of weeping and suffering. Hell is a place where there is gnashing of teeth. Hell is a place of separation from God and from those who you once loved. Those who once loved you. You're separated from them for forever and ever. And what did Brother Ham, what did you say to me this morning? What makes hell so terrible? There's no getting out. You can get out of debt. <laughs> Our tithing is up and down like my preaching. I, we've, you know, I, it's by the grace of God we're, we're on two radio stations. A lot of folks that will hear us will probably never come to this church. I, 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 we have to give God all the honor and glory. The church even today is two-thirds full, and we have a wall that's got to come down if we're going to enlarge this auditorium, and we're going to be taking up money for a building fund in just a moment. Stop and think about it. There are not a lot of churches out in the country building on, are they? There are a lot hanging on, but not a lot building on. So we have a lot. We have much to be thankful for at Bethel Baptist Church. You have much. If you're saved this morning and you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you have much to be thankful for. When you die, you're going to go to heaven. You're still going to stand before God and you're going to give an account of everything that you've done in your body. He's going to look at those rewards that he's given you. But what if you stand before that great white throne judgment? There's no hope. There's no hope. Because you rejected the Prince of Hope. You rejected Jesus Christ. Oh, it's my prayer that all of you this morning are saved. I believe with all of my heart Jackie Ryan was saved. He was a cracker jack. Yeah, there'll never be another Jackie Rye. But you know what? I never heard him complain about his health. I never heard him use his health as an excuse not to come to church. He had 10% of his heart. And yet when he came to church, he was full of life. Full of life. And full of hope. Father, as we bow ourselves before you, we acknowledge that you are God and we are not. And Father, we realize that as pastors... Uh, fathers, mothers, we can't save our children. Oh, Lord, I, I, I want my children to be saved. And yet I realize that, that it's a, a, their choice. They have to hear the gospel for themselves. They have to believe that this pending judgment is real and genuine. And then they have to choose for themselves whether or not to embrace the truth. And we know that it's the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man can come to the Father but by me. We know that truth. But we can't force our children to embrace that truth. But we need to lead by example. We need to, oh, Father, to, as fathers, we're to be, we're to look like Jesus, to walk like Christ, to, 
we are to be a type of Christ in, in our homes. That even our wives would see the love of Christ, the compassion of Jesus in our marriage. And wives and mothers should reflect that same light and that same love. And the only way we can reflect it is by allowing Jesus to be Jesus in us. Father, we've all sinned today. We've all come short of your glory. And so we ask you now to take away our guilt, take away our shame. And Father, we rededicate ourselves to you today. We recommit ourselves to you today. And Father, if there's one in our midst lost, someone who doesn't know with any great certainty that if they were to die, where they would spend eternity. Oh God, help them to understand they're going to go through through seven years of hell on earth. They're going to go through this tribulation. And there's still no guarantee that their heart will still be hard. Help them to recognize that they they need a Savior and they, they need Jesus and they need Him now. Prick their hearts. Convict them of their sin and convince them of their their need today while it is still today. There may be someone here in our midst, uh, they've been saved but never baptized. Perhaps someone, uh, you're leading them to join our church. Have your sweet way and will in our invitation and we'll be so very careful, Father, to give you and you only all the honor and glory for all that it is that you do in our lives. For what you have done, we praise you. And for for what you promise to do, if we'll only trust you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.